about the church. Do you love the church? Do you serve the church? When you see the church, what do you see? Jesus loves his church. can believe it. Um, it's been one year since the senior pastor transition. Can you believe that? It's been like, it's, we made it, right? <laughs> we like, yeah, all right, sweet. Some of us are like, we made it, yes. Um, and and it's, it's been an incredible year, really, if you think about that. Um, and maybe you've been coming just this year, maybe you just started coming over and you're coming through the church just this past, in 2016, you're like, what, what happened? <laughs> you know, so, um, I, but I, yeah, I've been the, the, the senior pastor just for about 14 months now, and we talked through the entire year, all of 2016, we spent specifically about breaking down the gospel and apply it to ourselves personally. And over the next year, we're really going to see, all right, what is it like for two people or four people or 550 people on average here to, to really relate to each other well? What's it like to be a gospel-centered community? Uh, so we talked about our worship and our image of God, and then this week, uh, this year, we're going to be really breaking down what's it like to be a gospel-centered church, a gospel-centered community, and, and really how we do we relate to each other well, what does a gospel-centered church believe um, and how do we break down in, in, in relationships uh, what's going on in the Bible? And, um, and, and so, man, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, and so in this series specifically, we're going to start off like really, really, really big. And so I got a slide here just breaking down this series for you. Um, I should anyway, right? Yep. So the first story, the first week is going to be what is the story? And today I'm literally going to preach the whole Bible to you, right? So I'm pumped about that. I hope you are. Um, and you're like, oh, okay, it's awesome. Um, like, I'm going to go, I, I, was, I was prepping for this morning, and I was like, you know, I'm just going to go unashamedly geek on the church this morning. Um, so good thing it snowed you know, for some folks, I guess. Um, but I'm just going to break down the story. What's the, what's the story of the Bible? Next week, we're going to talk about what is the church and, and really why. Like, what, what, why should we get out of bed in the morning and be a part of something called the church? Not just why should we get out of bed and come to, be a, come to a church gathering, but really why on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday should we get out of bed and actually do it? Next the week after that, we're going to be talking about how, all right, if we got a why, if we got a why, why, why should we get out of bed in the morning, how do we actually take that why and put it into practice? After that, what, what do we actually do if we have a how? What do we do? What are the disciplines and the things that we do to employ that? 
And then who, what is our structure as a church? And really, do we have, like, what, when it comes to leadership and it becomes the who's, who's in different places all throughout, or, uh, who is actually doing that work? And then where? Where are we going? The last week, uh, one of the last weeks, we're going to talk about where are we going. And then we're actually going to celebrate baptism in early February, February 19th. And so we're going to do a, a gathering just centered on baptisms and celebrating the fact that people are becoming uh, followers of Jesus and, they're move, and Jesus is moving on their hearts to become more like him. And so that's going to be, it's going to be an awesome series in that because we're really going to uh, really shape our thinking and then allow our hearts to really bring that out into practice. So I'm, I'm amped. I hope you are. Um, and it'll be a, a lot of fun to do that. So Jesus loves his church. And today, it's all going to start out in Colossians chapter 1. So if you've got your Bibles or if you have your phones or if you want to read on the screen, you can do it. Um, Colossians chapter 1. And this is, for me, a verse that changed everything. Changed everything. Colossians 1, verse 15. It says this. He is the image of the invisible God. He's talking about Jesus the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, then everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now look, I, I grew up um, in, a, in, a, in the Pentecostal uh, way of faith. I mean, I loved Pentecostalism when I was growing up. I mean, we used to have like these Sunday night gatherings where everyone was experiencing the power of God in a way that I think is, is kind of not normal in, in many churches. In fact, you probably would have gone in there and been like, this isn't normal. But for, for, for many people, Pentecostalism and, and that way of faith was, was experienced um, the power of God in a way um, that not many have. And so I grew up with this understanding that God is active. Like God is doing something in the world, and you can experience him, right? I had a bunch of friends. I had, like, hard-pressed to find one of my friends that, would talk, that, would, that were not going to some sort of uh, church, school, CCD, all that sort of thing. But, man, they talked to, about church like it was the old shed in the backyard that they had to go through every once in a while. And as I was growing up, church became this place where I was like, I, 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 like, I get to go here? Like, I get to do these things? I get to be a part of this stuff? And, and I remember going through, like, we'd have these, uh, you know, evangelistic meetings and all that sort of thing. And, I mean, I remember one time when we were growing up, when, or I, was, I was walking into a church, and I, just had, I was expectant that God was going to do something in that gathering. And I could feel it. Like, I just knew uh, God was either going to change me, he was going to change our church, he was going to do something. I just felt it. And someone came up to me and grabbed my arm and said, man, I just feel like the power of God's in you right now. To a 15-year-old to a kid, that's like weird, right? You don't have a spot for that. But deep down, I didn't know how to take all that I was experiencing in the church gatherings and really break it into what was going on Monday through Saturday. Have you ever been there? 
Have you ever done something like that? Be like, man, I love church. I love going to church. But man, Tuesday at 3 o'clock, when I want to punch out my coworker, not sure how this plays out. We're like, what's going on, like, really in the world that we need any of this stuff? I remember at one point asking my dad, we were driving down 95. I know I, it's really weird how sometimes you can remember this stuff. But we're on the S-curves in 95. And I said, I said, Dad, what are we saved from? Like, I, okay, I get it. Like, we come to church and we celebrate our salvation. Uh, but what, what are we saved from? I don't get it. And so I've spent most of my uh, high school life, like, really pursuing, really pushing, really engaging, really trying to figure out what was going on. And still, at the end of high school, not really sure what any of, really where it fit. Like, I knew God was real. I knew, he was, I knew we were experiencing him in, in ways that probably not many people could talk about, but I still couldn't figure out what in the world was going on. And so what I was realizing, was, it almost felt like I'd, I was missing the beginning of the movie. Have you ever been there? Like, you ever walk in 20 minutes late? Like, this happens sometimes. You walk into the movies, you sit down, and you got someone kind of like, you know, you, you, you're like, like 10 minutes late, and you miss the problem, like the setup, Right? And you're like, this is an incredibly like, active movie, but I have no idea what they're fighting about. I have no idea what they're talking about. Like, I have no idea what all this activity is about. Like, what's, what's, what's going on? And then, like, worse, if you ever have to like, leave 20 minutes early from a movie, have you ever had to do that? And you're like, all I know is that I'm an emotional wreck and I have no closure whatsoever, right? <laughs> like, even when movies like, or TV shows, they end without closure, you're like, what do I do for seven days? Oh my goodness, unless you're binge watching on Netflix, like you're a mess. And so that's kind of almost what I felt like. And so I, I, so I knew early on that I wanted to, to go into school. I wanted to, 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 to study pastoral ministry. And, and so I started moving through the, the story of the Bible. And I was like, okay, Genesis 1 and 2, I get it. Uh, science, right? So God created the world. And so it, it, science, okay, great. And then you have Genesis 3, like something, something happened, I get it, everything broke, and then Jesus came, uh, and everything's there. But, but really, what, what in the world does that have anything to do? Because I knew Jesus saved me, and I knew I was experiencing him, but really, what does that have to do with anything? And so today, what I want to do is I want to walk through the framework of the Bible so that we can really break out and open up our theology regarding the church now, next week, we're going to talk specifically about this piece here. But do you realize where we are in the story? We're number five. That's, a, that's like a big deal. Because if you're coming into a story and you open up at chapter five, you're missing some stuff, huh? And so the story of the Bible is really starts up here. And it's going to open up, I think, for you your understanding of what in the world is actually going on for you as a Christian, for you as a member of a church, for you as an employee, as a worker, just you as a person, you as a human being. Because I think the story of the Bible is the lens by which we see all things. And so if you'd like to do that with me today, it would be a lot of fun, don't you think? If not, you can hurry up and leave and I'll close my eyes. Genesis... Chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, uh, the Bible starts out with God coming to earth. 
A lot of times we think God created earth, right? And he did. He created earth. But when you read it in the framework of the Bible, he created earth. He comes down. He comes down here. Guess what happens again in John chapter 1 with Jesus? He comes down, right? What happens in Revelation 21 and 22? He comes down. This can be a revolutionary thought for you if you think that Jesus saved you so one day you get to go to heaven. Now, I believe that. I can't wait to be with Jesus after we die. I can't wait. But if all you believe is that you're saved so one day you can go to heaven, you're missing like every part of the the middle part of that story. And so God creates the world and he creates it what? Good, right? I'm right here. I'm a person. My heart hurts sometimes. Remember, I grew up Pentecostal, so people were like shouting at you when you did things. What? God creates the world and he creates it good, right? I've been talking about that all year because God had a vision for the world and it didn't just break down and everything's all sorts of a mess. He, like, he had an idea that was good and he creates it and he creates it good. It actually, Genesis 1.1 says he creates it from waste and void. That the, that the earth was formless and void. It's a Hebrew phrase, tohu wabohu, which gives you great joy to say, right? Tohu wabohu. Formless and waste. God creates nothing, creates something from nothing, but, but, but the way he describes it, it says he's taking chaos and he's moving it to order. He's taking like a mess and he's structuring it. And what he does is he takes, he says, I'm going to create humans in my image and I'm going to put them in this garden. Now, remember this. The Garden of Eden, right? When I grew up, I was just thinking, okay, there's a place called the Garden of Eden. But if you break that down, there's a Garden of Eden. And so Eden is a place, the place where God dwells, the place where God is, the place where God resides. And in it, he creates a garden specifically for his humans, And we get to rest and surrounded by this place that God is, that God resides, that God's presence is. And he creates us with something in mind. And in Genesis 1, he gives us a creation mandate, it's called. Creation mandate. We talked, we spent much time over this on the fall, but it says this, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish and of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing on the earth. God creates creation and calls it good. Does he call it perfect? No, he doesn't, right? He doesn't doesn't call it perfect. He calls it good because he's expecting that creation's going to go somewhere. And he's inviting humans. This is his purpose for you, his design for you, his job description for you. He's inviting you into creation to order the ongoing creation. He's inviting you into the story to participate in the ongoing ordering of creation. This is before sin, before anything broke. He's asking you to be a part of his plan for the world. 
And what this is called is culture, human culture. It's the, it's the, it's the framework. It's the, the structure by which humans live. And it's a part of things. Like he, he's asking you to do something by which you were created. So in the image of God, you're created in his image. He's asking you to be a part of the ongoing ordering of his creation so that all men will flourish. Are we tracking so far? And so he's asking you to do something uh, with it. And so it's formless and void. He's provided all of that, created us in his image, and, and, and asked us to do something. And so essentially, if you, ever, like a, if you know any middle schoolers or you have a 12-year-old, I, I got a 12-year-old boy, Minecraft, right? We got Minecraft. We track him. Maybe if you don't know that one, Legos. We, get, we got we on the same page. Legos, right? Think Legos. You look at this piece right here. I happen to find a Lego Minecraft, <laughs> like illustration gold right here. You look at what's in this box. You look at what's in this box, and it's just a bunch of Legos. Nothing, no order to them, right? What God's asking us to do is like, hey, you know what? I'm going to create something. I'm going to give this to you. And I want you to create something alongside with me that will give joy to the entire earth, and it will give me glory. I want to give you something to do that helps the earth flourish. That's creation. And he asks you to be a part of it. Does God have to ask you to do that? No. Is God perfectly capable of doing this by himself? Absolutely. But he wants you to be a part of what he's doing. Now look, this is awesome, right? In the midst of all that's going on. So if you are a teacher, if you are a business guy, if you are a organizer, if you are, uh, you know, whatever, you, you are a restauranteur, if you like food, if you like all this stuff, that's Genesis 1 playing itself out in you. And I just love helping the earth, or I like experiencing all that God created, and helping all joy, and helping all glory go to God. That's creation. There's one author that puts it this way. I love this. He says, man is called to work the earth in order to cover the rich potentialities hidden beneath the earth's surface. One, another author says that you are asked to uncover the raw uh, image, the raw potential that's in the earth and help make it something. It says, on the most basic agricultural level, man cuts into the earth and sows seeds which grows up into plants, which, which if carefully attended, will yield fruit in appointed seasons. Dig deeper, and the earth will yield still more riches, precious stones and gold, all which can be melted to make metals or basic chemical raw elements that can be synthesized into pigments and dyes for artwork, fertilizers to increase crop yields, or rocket fuel to explore God's universe. Other parts can be transformed as well. Wood can be fashioned into flutes for the praise of God or planks for building. Stones can be dressed for building into walls and on and on it goes. If you read Genesis chapter 2, it says that there's rivers and stones and metals and all this sort of thing. And literally, he's asking you to take all of that stuff and make it something. That's creation. 
But we know that's, that's not all, that God has this vision. But sin breaks everything. The story of the world has this evil to it. And the, the, sometimes the world doesn't define this as great as, as it can be, as it can. When you look at the world, you say, what's wrong? You can go to many different stories of humanity. You can go to many different stories of religion and find many different answers. The Christian Bible, the one we're in, is going to explain it like this, that there's, uh, there's a, a whole angelic body that God created before humans. And, and in it was one that was a great worship leader. And he started having pride in his heart for God, and God kicks him out of heaven. And God, he already knows that, that, God, that God is all-powerful, and he can, he's over, so he begins to, he begins to look at the, the, the creation that God has for him, that God has, and he wants to separate humans from God. And so he knows he can't go towards God, and so he goes right towards humans. In Genesis chapter 3, he shows up in the form of a serpent and begins to tempt Eve and saying that although you have all that you need to, for life and flourishing in the garden of God's presence, although you have all that you need, God's still holding out on you. And he gets them to believe this simple lie, that they can create for themselves what only God could create for them. Now, God's asking you to be a part of something, but he's simply saying to you, like, I, there are certain things that I create for you. I gave you my image, my satisfaction, my wholeness, my joy, my presence. You cannot find any other thing that's more fulfilling than those things there. And Eve buys into it. And when she buys into it, everything breaks. And man is separated from God. Now look, when this happens, everything breaks inside of you, in your relationships, and in your relationship to work in the world. Everything breaks. And so for you, your heart is bent away from God's glory, bent away from who he is, bent away from satisfying him, and it's bent towards pleasing yourself. You're going to work internally to feel comfortable, to protect yourself. You're going to work in relationships to get the most out of them. And work is is not going to be a part of joining God and his mission for the world. It's going to be about how much money you can make and about how satisfied you can be. Everything is bent towards you. And so God's asking you to be a part of this big thing, but sin breaks it and bends it internally. And so now we're stuck. We got this thing. Not only that, worse is that now the earth is contested space. There's more people that are a part of the ordering of the world. God gave humans dominion over the earth, and the enemy stole it, and now he has it. And so we have this problem. Everything begins to break down. Creation, God's ordering chaos. Now because of the enemy, order is becoming chaos. We track him so far this morning. We got creation. You're created in God's image to be a part of the restoration of all, to be, to be a part of his, his mission on earth, to be part of the ongoing creation of all things. Sin breaks all of that. Instead of serving and glorifying him, now it's bent inside internally so that now you're satisfying yourself. 
And so God, but right at the end of Genesis chapter 3, God makes a promise and says this, although, you are, although I'm cursing the ground, there will be one that comes that will crush the head of the serpent. And so he makes this plan, he makes this promise that although the earth is broken today and although all things are broken today, that there will be one that will come that will literally restore all things. That will, through, his, uh, through his work, everything will be accomplished. And so now we're stuck. And now you, in this third section here, you have, uh, go back to that uh, story slide if you could, um, you have creation and sin in Israel. Now, literally, from Genesis 12 to the end of the Old Testament is the story of humans trying to figure out how to glorify God and still have all of this sin. They're tr- literally trying to figure out, how do we do this? From, from, from Genesis 1-2, you get this understanding. Genesis 3-11, through 11, you see the way out of sin and how sin plays itself out in the midst of the, uh, midst of the earth. And then literally God sets himself apart a line in the nation of Israel and gives, him, uh, gives them a story and says, you're going to follow me. And for the next uh, 2,000 years, literally, God is going to be winning the hearts of his line back to him because they waver. And we know this story because it's our story. Our hearts, they waver. And God has to call us back from time to time and say, hey, you know what? You're, I'm not your Lord right now, and I need to be your Lord. And so Genesis 12 through Malachi is literally this struggle. And it's this, in this struggle, God is going to be creating in his people a longing for the Messiah to come and put all things back together again. They know that the earth is not as it should be, that God had a good intention, that sin broke, and that there's going to be a Messiah that's going to come and literally change everything. So at that point, 400 years of silence between the Testaments and Matthew chapter 1, they begin to understand about a man named Jesus that's going to come and literally do all things and repair all things. Now look, in my story, in my understanding of how I grew up, when I grew up, and I, I understood that Jesus wanted to save me from my sin. I understood that Jesus wanted to uh, be the Lord over my life. But that was it. That was it. And so I understood sin. I got sort of this piece here in Israel, and I understood redemption. But then at that point, when Jesus, he dies, he, he lives a perfect life. Like, isn't he the, the, like the perfect man ever? Like, emotionally healthy and knows how to respond, a, a worker. He does all the things that Adam couldn't do. And then he dies on the cross, taking on the wrath of sin. Like God has, God can't be connected with sin. And so our hearts, infected with sin, we can't get to God. Jesus takes all of that on him in the cross. And he resurrects, he beats sin, he beats death. And creates new life for his people. Now, I, that's all I got. That's it, this middle section here. And what do you do in this understanding of the scriptures after you get to redemption? Sit tight, he's coming back. 
Anyone with me on that? Sit tight. He's coming back. It's pretty much like, like the waiting room in a Denny's, right? Just sit still before you die. That's pretty much what you got. And you sing songs about it, don't you? You say, one day we'll get out of here. One day we'll leave. One day God is going to bring us up out of this earth. And you're like, yeah, great, that's awesome, I can't wait. I can't wait for that. But what in the world do I do for the next 2,000 years before it happens? And what's the story? You go to church, right? You got to go back to church. And you go to church like five times a week because that's where all the action is. That's where all the things happen. That's where, that's where, where God is working. He's working in a room at a certain time of the day at a certain place, certain time of the week. And there's no context. And you're saying, you're hearing about all these things that God gives you, these gifts, but what in the world do we do with it? And what Jesus does, right at the end of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, he says this, God has given me all the authority, and I want you to go make disciples. And so what he does between, he creates the church. He says this, he goes, I, I've given, you give me, I, I have all of the authority. I'm going to give that to you. That I'm going to be the fullness of, uh, the fullness of me on earth is going to be this thing called the church. And you're going to create disciples, other people that have experienced the victory of God like you have. But that's not it. I'm going to give you a recreation, a new mandate. One that says not only are you going to be part of the ongoing creation of all things, although it's broken, I'm now going to help you. You're now you're going to be a part of the restoration of all things. And so we're going to spend a ton of time on this next week. But what part is this? The church is a part of the ongoing restoration back to what God had the intention of back at the beginning. And how we do that is through the ordering of all the things that sin broke. What Jesus calls us is salt and light. Things are broken. Things aren't good. And he's working in you to love him and pursue him so that you can turn around and become more, more like him and turn around and, and help others become more like him. So ultimately, we're creating culture together in a way that glorifies God and gives joy to man. And so you are saved for something, not just from something. See, a lot of times, man, I was growing up, and I, eternal life to me is cloud, harp, hanging out with God, right? We want to invite you into eternal life. And, man, I can't wait for that. Did you, please hear me when I say that. Like, I can't wait to be a part of where Jesus is. I can't wait. 
But what he's doing is he's bringing us down to something that's happening here. He's asking us to be a part of the restoration of all things on this earth, right here, today. He's asking us to be a part of something here. Remember, God comes down at the beginning. He comes back down at the end. He comes down in the middle. Where's all the action happening? Here. And so in it should bring all sorts of life for what's going on on this earth. He's asking you to be a part of the restoration of all things. Now, instead of having eternal life that goes somewhere, he's saying eternal life is something different. And the Bible actually talks about this. John 17, 3 um, says this. It says, and this is eternal life. This is Je- Jesus praying about his followers. He's praying about his followers. And this is eternal life, that they know you. Listen to me. Eternal life is that you know Jesus, the one and only God in Jesus, the one he has sent. When people ask you what eternal life is, you don't say, one day I'm going to be with Jesus after I die. Eternal life is that you know Christ. So you can live eternal life today, like right now. You can live this eternal type of life that's boasting and bursting forth the resurrection and creative qualities that Jesus has created. You can live a way of life right now that is showing people that there's an alternative reality, that although this earth is broken right now, it's not going to be forever. And actually, we're a part of making it better. We're a part of actually doing something in the world that's helping restore creation back to God's intention. That's good news. That's good news. And so for me, as a, you know, now I'm like, I'm at like 20 at this point, and I'm like, okay, I, I'm starting to get something here. Like, when I wake up in the morning, like, I'm, I'm a part of something. Now, now it's different. Now, now I don't feel like pressured that, like, all I'm doing is going to, going to tell someone who, who I don't know, hey, you know, you, you know you're going to hell when you die? That's a good conversation starter, right? Hey, hey do you know that, you, that God, like, can't be connected to sin and that you need a savior for your soul. All right, good. You want to talk? <laughs> like, but no, you know what's happening now is that you can live in creation and you can say, hey, do you know, you know God had a plan for the world that's not being, being lived out right now? Some of you, like, I talk about this all the time, like in, in the ordering of common life, like politics and all sorts of stuff, you are part of something that's building creation. Again, this, this framework that says, Jesus saves my sin, and then one day we're going to be with him when we die, we just got to sit tight and wait, means that there's some things that you should, shouldn't be a part of. There's some things that just God doesn't care about. And if you're not doing the church work, if you're not a part of what God's doing at the church, 
then you're not really doing anything. And I've watched like literally hundreds of people go through this understanding of the Bible that says what I do every day doesn't matter. What I do every day just doesn't matter because I'm not doing God's work. I'm like, what's God's work? Praying at the altar? Yeah, that's great. But man, if that's it, that's just one aspect of it. I'm not doing God's work, you are. And then people, then what they do is they start to idolize pastors. They start to idolize church leaders because they're doing God's work and I'm just here to support them. And we've watched literally hundreds of pastors fall in pride and sin over the last three or four decades, haven't we? Because what that's doing is saying, you're the man and I'm just this guy. You're the clergy and I'm the laity. That's not how it works in the New Testament. The New Testament says that we're a priesthood of all believers, that we're all a part of something. And Ephesians 4 has given us certain giftings so that you could help them do that. And you have them too. And so what it does is it breaks open this entirely new world that says Jesus is up to something today, right now, and he's asking you in your work to help order creation, to restore all things back to what God gives God glory. Now, guess what? That's not it. He's coming back. He's going to come back one day. And so things are actually getting ordered. We're, we're Christians and people who are following Jesus, people that are saved by him, what they're doing is saying, okay, I'm a part of this thing where I'm restoring the earth back towards him. And one day he's going to come and he's actually going to put all things right. He's going to make it all back to what he originally decided it would be. Now for some of us, there's different things than we have to do something with culture. We have to do something with the world. We have to figure out what in the world we should be doing as a part of it. And then there's groups of people in the Bible that all had different ways and different responses towards culture. And, and Chris, if you just go to the last slide, I'm going to talk through them quickly. Christians sometimes have an awkward relationship with culture. We've been asked to be a part of creating culture. And some of these responses are what we have. We could be like the Pharisees and we could condemn culture. This is like the back in the day, for some of us, we're not, we're not like this at our church, uh, thank God. But, but, you know, no cards, no playing cards. Some of you probably remember those days. No playing cards, no movies. Can't go to certain places, can't do certain things because that's evil and that's good. Another response that we could have is we could just, you know what, that's too hard to think about, so I'm just going to consume it. I'm just going to consume it and I'm not going to think about it. I can do whatever, whenever, however, and why. And so you just, you become part of this consumption engine where everything is really just for you to enjoy and that's it. You could be like the Greeks and you could just critique culture. Sometimes this is, this is a 
Christians that, that, that sometimes what we do is we're like, you know, I, I don't really feel comfortable being like a, enjoying culture and doing certain things within the earth. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to stand kind of outside of it. I'm going to be like one foot in, one foot out, and I'm going to critique it and really judge it for, for, for what spiritual implications I can get from it. We could crush it, like the zealots. The zealots were these war-hungry, like we're going to just make it what we see. And this, was, this was me for a long time because I would see things that needed to be fixed and I would just go fix them and then everyone, I'd try to figure out like why everyone didn't like me <laughs> because you just did it really badly. But what Jesus did was this. He created and in John chapter 1, it's called the incarnation. What Jesus did, he said, hey, there's a mess. There's a mess. And I'm going to go, and I'm going to go sit right in the middle of it. And I'm going to love people and tell people about a greater way. I'm going to go do something and be a part of people's lives where things are broken and messy. I mean, gone are the days where churches are just these perfect people sitting in pews and everyone's complimenting on the new tie. We're a part of something. We're a part of something. We're a part of God's grand story for the earth. God saw you when he created you and he knew that he was that, that things were not as they should be, but through Jesus they can be. He had this grand plan. And he's asking you to be a part of it. And so today, where can you incarnate? Be like Jesus and sit in the middle of brokenness and help ordering it so that it can give God glory and give man joy. He wants you to do something to help the earth flourish. And he saved you from your own sin so that he could get you to do it. He had a plan in mind when he created you. And we need to find out what that is. And so today, if you are in uh, business, you are taking the raw energy of products and materials and you're ordering them in, a, in, a, in an integrous way to help the flourishing of humans. If you are involved in politics, you are taking the raw elements of community and water and, and ordering community so that people can have a flourishing town and life. If you are a part of uh, if you're a teacher, you're taking the raw elements of education and information and knowledge and you're ordering it into places so that people can learn and grow. If you're a musician or an artist, you're taking the raw elements of the earth and sound and you're ordering it so that it can become beautiful symphonies. God has asked you to do something. He's asked you to be a part of something. And he needs you to do it. We aren't just sitting here waiting for, for, for death so that one day we can live the life that Jesus promised us. He's saying right now, 
you can have the eternal type of life in the midst of this place right now and you actually be a part of the restoration of all things, God's mission on the earth. That's what I see when I see our church. That's what I see when I see our church. And so today, if you could stand with us, we're going to sing a song that uh, is going to be new to you, but something that we're going to sing a bit uh, more over the next coming weeks. But church, I pray that you have a grander view of what your role on the earth is. That it's not just to sit still and maybe one day you'll get to fly away. But that you're a part of something grand. Jesus asked you to be a part of the ordering of creation. To give him glory and to give man joy. Jesus, we love you. Help us see this type of church, God, that it's not just this place where we go and that's it and that's we experienced you for an hour and then it has no toy over the rest of our lives. God, I pray that you just see, reverse the, our thinking and our feeling, our emotions about what it's like to be a part of a church that meets together once a week, but is really a part of the grander restoration of all things. God, I pray that you train us, that you convict us, that you pull us towards you in a way that shows you glory and gives man joy. I pray that you, we find meaning in our work again. God, for us that might feel like going to work is just the worst part of their whole week. God, I pray that you help us see that we're a part of ordering creation to give you glory and to give man joy. God, help us see that today. Help us live that and experience that today.